On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we will be talking a lot about the Bruins and their recent play. They've been getting hot at the right time, so we'll answer a question about whether they are legit contenders. We'll take a look at their uh, recent play and what that points to. We'll also take a look at um, the Bruins' seventh player award and who we think might be uh, in contention for that award. Also take a look at the Bruins' remaining schedule, get to some news and notes from around the NHL. Also get to the Red Sox, as they have continued to play really well. Uh, we'll get to what's been going well with, what's been going well with them, take a look at their schedule, take a look at news and notes from around baseball. Uh, we'll get to the Celtics, as they have a really interesting stretch of games uh, coming up. Not exactly super healthy, so we'll get into that. Uh, we will take a look at the Celtics bringing in Jabari Parker, what that means for the rest of their season, um, and then we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA. We will also get to the NFL, do kind of a small draft preview with the draft next week. Probably we'll do a bigger preview next week. Uh, we'll take a look at some rule changes that have been passed in the NFL, so we'll take a look at a few of those. Uh, the league schedule is out May 12th. So we'll take a look at some of the Patriots' opponents, maybe try to figure out uh, who they might play week one. We'll take a look at some other league notes as well, and then we'll get to some soccer at the end. Revolution opened their season with a tie in Chicago, got their season opener on Saturday, so we'll talk about that. Also talk about my thoughts about this Super League and why it is uh, kind of failing before it's already started. So let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. You can follow us on Twitter, at NotBoston. You can follow the Facebook page. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. All right. Well, uh, welcome in, everyone. Um, got a lot to talk about today. Uh, a lot of Bruins to get to. Um, if you were paying attention on Twitter at all yesterday... Uh, you kind of know where part of this is going to go. Um, so be advised, there'll probably be a rant or two um, in this episode. So uh, just be ready with that. But really excited to talk uh, today. You know, really, again, really exciting time in sports. You know, you got the NBA and the NHL, you know, getting to the end of the regular season. You got the draft coming up with the, with the NFL. Got, you know, baseball season underway. You know, it's a really exciting time of year. Um, so I just wanted to say that before we get into the sports, um, there was a pretty obvious thing that happened, uh, two days ago, um, with the verdict coming in the, uh, George Floyd, uh, murder case. And this is a sports podcast. And I know that a lot of people want to listen to me talk about sports and, you know, that's fair, but I think it's, it's impossible to not mention 
this because it's been on everyone's mind in the last couple of days. You know, even if you're trying to be hyper-focused around sports, it's impossible to not pay attention to what's going on in the outside world. And um, I just will say from, from my perspective, it's, it's, you know, it was a good thing. It was a good thing to see that, you know, there's accountability. But to me, it's not, you know, really, really justice, because I think true justice would mean that, you know, George would still be here with us, that, you know, Brianna Taylor would still be here with us, you know, that everyone, all the other names would, would still be, you know, with us today. And, you know, hopefully it's the right step in, you know, it's, it's step one of step 1001. Um, and we're trying to move in the right direction. But I think that, you know, one thing that I think you should take out of this is um, the work's not done, you know, um, just because you have some semblance of, like, you see the right thing done, you know, the work's still not done. You know, I think that we all still have tremendous, tremendous work to do that we all can, you know, make waves to better ourselves. Um, and so I think I just wanted to say something about that because, um, it just, it felt right to. So, um, I think we'll, we'll just jump into, to the Bruins, um, and talk about that. You know, I don't want to talk about the seventh player right away, um, but it definitely is something that, uh, kind of got my attention yesterday, um, in the last couple of days on Twitter. But first we're going to talk about the Bruins, talk about how well, They've been playing. Um, if we, you know, had our pot had the show last week, we were talking about how important these next three games are going to be that the Bruins had against the Islanders and the Capitals. You know, the three teams or three games against teams that you were chasing in the division, and the Bruins had a tremendous opportunity to get back into the division race, and that's exactly what they did. Bruins with two impressive wins against the Islanders, and then an awesome win against the Capitals in which uh, David Krejci had one of his best games in a very long time. I don't remember him playing that well um, in years. And the Bruins were awesome offensively in this game. You know, obviously there was some, you know, dirty stuff from the Capitals. I really don't want to go into it again um, because it's just kind of the same stuff from Tom Wilson, it's the same stuff from that team. Um, you know, again, maybe there was nothing technically wrong with the hit on Corrali, but it still was dangerous. You know, just because a hit is within the rules doesn't make it not dangerous. Um, so that's really all I'm going to say about that. Um, but the Bruins were awesome, you know, in, in those three games. Um, you know, really getting themselves back into the division conversation. You know, we'll look at the standings in a little bit, but you know, they have firmly put themselves in the conversation for, you know, finishing with the one seed. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I mean, two weeks ago, you know, I don't think we'd be having this conversation, but the Bruins, you know, are in the midst of a five-game winning streak. They're playing the best hockey that they've played all season. You know, you've really not seen them play like this since the beginning of the season, you know, when they won 10 of their first 13 games. Um, but it's just, things are working. You're scoring five on five. You know, you're getting good goaltending. Tugarask is back. You know, was unbelievable in that Buffalo game. Yeah, I know it's Buffalo, but, you know, go back and watch the replay of that save that he had um, in that last game. 
It was unbelievable, you know, much like that save he made, maybe it was last year or two years ago against Buffalo. Um, but he's been great. It's been good to have him back. Um, he's appeared in two games and has looked, you know, pretty good. Um, Bruins continue their three-game set with Buffalo tonight. Um, got two more games against Buffalo this week, uh, tonight and then tomorrow night. And then they got two key games against the Penguins coming up that, you know, again, Bruins, again, tremendous opportunity to get closer in the standings. So I think that, you know, almost everything has been working really well for the Bruins. The only area that's been an issue is the power play. You know, Bruins are one for 15, one for 16, um, I think in their last 15, in their last 16, 17 power plays. Um, so, you know, I don't think that it's something that the Bruins really need to, you know, change their personnel exactly because it's like you look at the units you know that first power play unit is the first power play unit they've been using almost exclusively the whole season you know Grizzly has been in and out of the lineup but you know you've seen basically the same unit the top line Matt Grizzly and Nick Ritchie as a as a net front um now I think Ritchie had some games where they took him off the first power play just because he wasn't really making as much of an impact he's back there now you know I think they tried Taylor Hall at that unit but you know, I think it's just it's just one of those things. I think the Bruins have to, you know, make things a little simpler, you know, trying to be a little bit more aggressive and looking for shots. Um, you know, I think that anytime you have Pasternak out there, he's really dangerous and you can try to get him get him for one of those one timers. Um, but I just think that, you know, it's interesting because it feels like that first unit is very, very good at entering the zone. They're very good at zone entries, um, but it just can't quite seem to, you know, get those great opportunities. Um, that second unit, you know, I think it's a good idea having Taylor Hall playing with Krejci just so he can have a little bit more of like a consistency and kind of develop a little bit more chemistry um, with David. And it's good to see Mike Riley on that second unit. You know, I think him and McAvoy is a tremendous, you know, deep pair in that unit. So, you know, again, I don't really think it's 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 a personnel change. I think it's just sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. You know, sometimes you go through droughts and sometimes, you know, you're scoring at crazy clips. Um, but I'm just hoping that it kind of evens itself out a little bit. Um, you know, as far as their penalty kill, it's still incredible. You know, it's still number one in the league. And, you know, and I've said this many times. That was the one area that I was very concerned about when, you know, Chara left for Washington that, okay, you've lost your best penalty killer and, you know, what are you going to do in that scenario? And the Bruins have been awesome. They've been really good. You know, and arguably Carlo is maybe, you know, another one of your really good penalty killers and he's been, you know, hurt a lot of the season. Um, Kevin Miller, you know, as much as people want to, complain about how he's not healthy, you know, which is partially true when he's been healthy and he's been killing penalties, he's been pretty good. You know, I will say that when he's been in the lineup, he's been good. You know, it's just, he's not been in the lineup as often as I think we would like. Um, but you know, things are, things are going well for the Bruins, you know, five on five scoring is improving, you know, call me crazy, but I'd rather have this team improving to score at five on five then be better scoring on the power play. I know that kind of sounds crazy, but I think the Bruins are a team that if they can score consistently at five on five, you know, they can be more dangerous at five on five. They're going to be a much tougher team to beat in the playoffs. 
Um, and so I think, you know, getting to that question of are they legit contenders, you know, I honestly think that they are. I think that they are playing at an extremely high level. They are getting production from a number of different players. You know, I know that a lot of people are pointing at Charlie Coyle and like, okay, why isn't he producing better? You know, and I think that he's been playing better of late. You know, I think he's getting more shots on goal. He's a little bit more engaged, um, but it's just, you know, it's just not happening for him. Um, And so I think, you know, the fact that that's your third line with DeBrusque Coyle and Nick Ritchie, like, that's a pretty solid line. And if, like, they can get it together and they can start scoring goals, you know, it's going to be even more dangerous. You know, that fourth line, I have not seen the fourth line be near as effective the entire season as they're playing now. You know, it's almost, it's it's night and day. You know, I know it's a cliche, but it's really, like, you put Kurt Curtis Lazar in there, and Corrali and Wagner are becoming far more effective. So, um, you know, that's another player that has come in from one of these trades and has done spectacularly well. You know, he's top in scoring goals. It's not, you know, what he's what Curtis Lazar's skill set is, but you know, he's making those guys a lot more a lot more effective. You know, and I think the biggest thing with the Bruins is. They're playing at this level, but they're still not completely healthy yet. You know, Carlo is still uh, week to week. You know, it's kind of hard to know whether you'll whether you will get him back. You know, I think that it's a little bit more unsure with Andre Kasha because it's like, you know, you felt like he was maybe getting close when maybe he was skating a couple of weeks ago, um, but there still really isn't much of a timetable for him. You know, and I think at this point, I would be surprised if he even plays the rest of the season. Um, and things will get interesting because he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. And I think that, you know, it's not looking like the Bruins would, would bring him back. Um, you know, I think Carlo is is interesting because he's a really solid shutdown defenseman, but he's, you know, not been in the lineup for a while. You know, I think he just started doing off-ice work. Um, and I think that, you know, as much as I've, made it clear that, you know, Clifton is a guy that I sometimes worry about, you know, he's been pretty solid filling in, you know, and playing those big minutes, um, mostly with Mike Riley, you know, playing on that second pair. Um, But I really think that, you know, and maybe I'll talk about this with the seventh player award, like, you've had guys come in that have been really solid, you know, Tenorti has come in and given you solid minutes, you know, Camfer has done everything you've asked him to do, you know, come in every other game or so. And perform really well, and I think that it's 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 made things a lot easier for the Bruins. That you know you've brought in some guys, you've had some veteran guys that under normal circumstances you probably wouldn't use, but you know this is a season unlike any other, and the Bruins have had to you know rely on guys like that, and they've responded fairly well. Um, so I think you know for the Bruins, it's just continuing to try to get guys back, you know, making sure that you're staying healthy. Um, And I think having Tuca back in the lineup is huge. You know, having him be a guy that can play a little bit down the stretch and hopefully he can catch his stride right before the playoffs. You know, we talked about this last week that it might be good for him to, you know, kind of give him a lighter workload and then gradually work him in right before the playoffs start. And then he can start, you know, performing. And 
um, or start, you know, playing all these games and, you know, make, make it look like, make it seem like he's really fresh. Um, so I think that there's a possibility that you see Yaro Halak at some point this weekend. Sounds like he is uh, off of the COVID list and starting to uh, practice with the Bruins. So real possibility you see him back. Um, and I know that it's probably going to upset some people, but I would not be surprised if Swayman gets sent down in the near future. You know, just because you have Halak back and there's really no reason to keep him here. Um, and it would be more important for him to keep playing, you know, in Providence. So I think that, you know, think things are looking up for the Bruins. And I really think that they're starting to catch their stride. They got three more games against Buffalo. You got two big games against Pittsburgh um, at the end of the month. They're, you know, in the next, in the next week or so um, that I think are really going to determine whether the Bruins actually have a possibility at uh, winning this division. It's going to get very, very interesting. Um, so the Bruins, obviously, at this time of the year, usually right before the end of the season, the Bruins will award uh, the seventh player award, which is given to the player that um, the unsung hero on the team, the player that works hard every day for the good of the team without any expectation to be recognized. Um, this, according to Nesson.com, I don't think that's the full... Um, award thing. Um, so basically an award that goes to a player who, you know, exceeds expectations, that goes, you know, above and beyond what they were kind of expected to do. And um, again, you know, I'll say this probably three or four times, the award doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, you should probably say that to a number of people on Twitter. Um, who are getting a little bit upset about it for no reason. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's fun. It's fun to see who wins. It's a fun award for for the guys, and I think honestly, like whoever's in the room, they you know appreciate the sacrifices of whoever wins the award or whoever you know is up for the award. Um, it's cool to see who the fans vote for. It's neat. It's nice to see you know what fans recognize what players, and I know that you know. In some years, you know, the award has not always gone to the right person, that sometimes it's gone to, you know, a player who has, you know, not exactly exceeded expectations, like maybe has done what the expectation is. You know, I think Pasternak won it a number of years back. Um, I think last year, or well, not last year, 2019, I believe Chris Wagner won it um, in 2019. So... I think that this year there are some candidates. Um, as someone said on Twitter, though, I do feel like there's not exactly someone who like is a clear-cut winner, um, and I think that's what makes it interesting this year because I think you have a number of guys, you know, who could meet that criteria. I know that Craig Smith was kind of a popular name, but unfortunately, um, he's not on the nominee list, so not really sure how the nominees are decided. You know, not really sure what the criteria is exactly. Um, so some of the names on here, I'm not going to list all of them because there's about 20 names. Um, some names that stand out a little bit, Connor Clifton, uh, Grizzlick, Stephen Kampfer, uh, Kevin Miller, Nick Ritchie, Jared Tenorti, uh, Dan Vladar, Jeremy Swayman, Mike Riley, uh, Curtis Lazar, Jakob Saboral. Um, so these are some names that are on here. And um, unfortunately, some people make the... Uh, fateful decision to share their opinion on Twitter, which, you know, why would you ever do that? I'm saying that sarcastically. 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, it just, I don't know. It's one of these things that unfortunately ruins Twitter, um, chooses to, I don't want to say take things personally, but like people really are getting like hot and bothered by it, which is like what I said on Twitter yesterday. Um, and I think, you know, as I said, it's, it's an award that ultimately doesn't mean anything. You know, it's a fun thing, you know, but it's like, God forbid you mention someone that other people strongly disagree with and they'll just, you know, call your opinion laughable. Um, and that's one of the things I really get frustrated with on Twitter is you have people, and I'm not going to name names here, um, but you have some people who, um, you know, are are very smart people, are very smart about the Bruins and certain players. They're very smart about player evaluations and their opinions, you know, and they're people that I think a lot of people should trust, you know, not to say that these people's opinions you should, you know, never disagree with. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but I just think that, like, there are some people who really are good at what they do, and they provide a lot of really useful analysis that oftentimes I will use in my evaluations because I really agree with what this person says. But it's like, I just, I don't understand how it works where it's like, you can't share... I, I, I want to be careful about how I say this because it's not exactly what I mean, but it's like, for example, there are some people that are of the opinion that Kevin Miller, you know, should be the winner of this award because he has exceeded expectations, that he's done more than what the Bruins maybe would have expected out of him. You know, that this is a guy who came off of two broken kneecaps, you know, had the broken kneecap and then re-injured it. And has spent the last two, almost two years, trying to rehab and get back. And the Bruins rewarded him and said, hey, you know, we'll give you a try. We'll give you a contract that's heavily laced with incentives. Um, And, you know, in the time that he's played this season, he's looked pretty good. You know, I think that honestly, he's been a pretty solid defender when he's been healthy. And, you know, I think that the Bruins gave him that heavily incentive-laced contract because they didn't think he was going to be able to play as many games as maybe he's played. And so I think from that perspective, maybe you think, okay, you know, maybe he is deserving of this award, but, you know, God forbid you have an opinion like that, and some people do not agree and want to make fun of you and want to call your opinion laughable. And I just don't, I don't respect people that do things like that. That it's like, if you say okay, here's my opinion, here's why I think this, you know, and you disagree, that's fair, but it's like, you can't just come right back and say, oh, your opinion's stupid, or that's laughable, and it's like, I don't know, I just think that, I don't know, I, it just, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way when certain people, you know, talk like that, or tweet like that, and, you know, I think that if you have an opinion, That's fair. If you want to, you know, talk about why you think you're right or why you think that, you know, this player deserves this, you know, then that's well within your rights. But it's just like, it's one thing to disagree, but it's a whole nother thing to completely disrespect someone. And that's what I really have a problem with. So, um, you know, I think that in my personal opinion, Kevin Miller is one of the players that I think should be considered for it. Um, I think in my opinion... 
someone like Stephen Kampfer might deserve it a little bit more, um, just because I think that he has been healthy a little bit more, a little bit more than Kevin Miller. Um, and he's performed a little bit better than Kevin Miller. Now, his numbers aren't amazing. They don't jump off the page. But, you know, Stephen Kampfer is a guy who has been with the Bruins for a number of years, to second tour of duty with the team. Um, and he has always done exactly what they've asked him to do. He's never done anything crazy. You know, he's never played top pair minutes. But I think that he is someone that I think really personifies what this award is. Um, that it's someone who works hard, doesn't really get recognized a lot, um, but I think plays and plays well, and everyone respects him in that room. So I feel like he's someone that I think would deserve the award. Nick Ritchie, I think, also would be a great candidate, too, um, because I think that he's played really well this season. He's been one of the Bruins' best forwards. I don't think that people really would have thought that that would have happened. Um, And I also think Jeremy Swayman, is someone that definitely deserves this award because he didn't even, he wasn't even expected to play any games this season. You know, if you really think about it, the Bruins were expected to have Halak and Rask for this season. You know, maybe they have Swayman or Vladar start a game, you know, maybe at the end of the season, but Swayman has come in and not only has he played, but he's been unbelievable. So I think those are three, those are four guys that I think are definitely deserving of this. I think Camfer, Kevin Miller, Nick Ritchie, Jeremy Swayman. You know, I think maybe you could make a case for Connor Clifton. You know, maybe you could make a case for uh, Jared Tenorti or Dan Vladar. Um, but at the end of the day, it's 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 a team award. It's a cool thing. It's a nice thing to get recognized. But at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins it. It's not worth getting, you know, people upset about it's not worth disrespecting people over what what your opinion is it's just like I don't know and I don't know whether this is like this with other fan bases whether you know other fan bases are often you know arguing about things that really don't matter but I just I gotta tell you it's really starting to irritate me that you know our fan base uh can't move past the fact that Don Sweeney signed Kevin Miller, that certain people can't get over it, that they're mad because they somehow think that, you know, giving money to Kevin Miller meant not giving money to Zidane O'Chara, you know, which is just a bizarre conspiracy theory at this point. Um, You know, the signings had nothing to do with each other. I don't know how many times I have to say that. Um, But it's just like, the Bruins felt like they wanted to reward Kevin Miller for all the hard work that he's been trying to do to get back on the ice. And he's gotten back on the ice and has performed decently well. You know, I just think that there are certain people that I think have an issue with Kevin Miller's, you know, personal personal life off the ice, that they have issues with some things that he's said or some opinions that he shared. And that's legit. I will say that that's legit, you know, but I think that, at a certain point, you have to kind of compartmentalize and realize that, okay, the guy's personal opinions and personal thoughts off the ice are different from how his play is on the ice. And I think that, you know, he's performed at a level that I don't know if the Bruins really expected him to. You know, it's like you really, you can point at the, the incentives, you know, if we really want to continue to, 
go down this path, we can go to you can go to cap friendly, and you can look at Kevin Miller's contract, and you can look at um, the incentives that the team gave him. That it was one point two five million, you know, as a base salary, and then the additional seven hundred and fifty thousand is if he hits certain incentives and. If he hits all of the incentives, then he'll get $2 million. But, you know, that's not, you know, it's that's if he hits all the incentives. And, you know, if you look at some of this, you know, 10 games, if they expect him to play 10 games, they give him 250000 If he plays 20 games, it's 125000 You know, if it's 30 games, it's 100000 So it's like, I don't know about you, I mean, 10 games... So that's the game played games played bonus that can be you know up to five hundred and fifty thousand, um, and he also then gets a playoff bonus if the team qualifies for the playoffs and he plays in fifty percent of the regular season games or one playoff game. So you know the performance bonuses are a lot of money, and you know at the end of the day it's. A base salary of one million, signing bonus two hundred fifty thousand, and then the rest of its performance bonuses. But you know, tell me again how you know Don Sweeney screwed up the off season by signing Kevin Miller. You know, it's just like if if you want to get upset at Sweeney for not signing, you know, Mike Hoffman or Anthony Duclair or Tyler Chavoli, that's a different argument. You know, and I honestly think that. This might be going out on a limb a little bit. I might be speculating here. Um, But I think it's possible that, you know, the Bruins were looking to get Taylor Hall. You know, it seems pretty obvious based on some of the things Taylor has said that the Bruins, you know, were interested in signing him this offseason. They ultimately didn't, you know. And then my guess is Sweeney in the back of his head was probably thinking, okay, well, Taylor becomes available. You know, he's someone that we can trade for. And I think that, it's played out pretty well. The Bruins have, you know, tr- have kept themselves above water, and now they make this trade, and they look like a completely different team than they did two weeks ago before the trade. You know, so I just, I just think a lot of the anger about this seventh player award is coming from the fact that people are still upset that Kevin Miller's on the Bruins, and they're still upset that oh, the Bruins, you know, spent money to get him here, and you know. In a perfect world, the Bruins would have, could have signed Zdeno Charna and Kevin Miller, you know, but they didn't. They chose to go a different route. They chose to rely more on the younger defensemen, and that's what it is, you know. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what the decision is. I don't know why we're still complaining about this when it's like it is what it is, and at a certain point you're just beating a dead horse. And it's, I don't know, it, it, it can turn some people off. You know, if you're continuing to just moan and complain about the same thing. So um, that's really all I'm going to say there. I really, you know, I've gone on, I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent, but it really just irritated me yesterday. Um, So looking at the rest of the NHL, um, the NHL extended the West schedule to May 13th. Obviously, the North schedule uh, has been changed to, I think, the 16th, I want to say. Um, because of the Canucks um, having to uh, postpone a bunch of games. They are back playing, which is great. Uh, They've actually won their first two games, beat Toronto in both of their games back, so that was good to see them back in action. Um, Blake Wheeler likely to return for the Jets soon, and the uh, Golden Knights 
the first team to clinch a playoff berth last night with their win against the Sharks. Uh, the Avalanche can clinch tonight with the win. Uh, they also will return tonight after some games being postponed. Um, so as we look at the standings, um, looking at where the Bruins are in the East, things have gotten a lot closer. Um, so you got Washington atop the East right now. Uh, the Islanders are actually tied with them, too, with 62 points. Uh, Washington has the tiebreaker because of their uh, regulation wins. Um, then you have Pittsburgh one point back, and then the Bruins four points back of first place with two games in hand on Washington, the Islanders, and Pittsburgh. Bruins with 58 points, uh, six points ahead of the Rangers, and the Flyers are way back, 11 points back. So things are uh, looking very dire in Philadelphia. The Rangers... You know, continue to play good hockey, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to catch uh, the Bruins considering how well that they've been playing recently. So uh, Bruins are right back in the division, which is kind of crazy to say. There's four points out of first place. Bruins, I believe, still have a game or two against Washington. They have the two games against Pittsburgh. Um, I think they have one against the Islanders. They think they might have a couple against the Rangers. So um, definitely this division, something to keep an eye on now. Um, in the north, Toronto still atop the north, four-point lead over Winnipeg, five-point lead over Edmonton. Montreal is in that uh, final playoff spot. Uh, Calgary, eight points back. So things, you know, really won't change much in the north. I think unless Vancouver gets really hot and, you know, starts to, you know, string together a lot of wins or points, they could make things interesting because they do have a... They do have five games in hand on Montreal, and they're down by 10 points. So, you know, you do the math there. There's They theoretically could catch them. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that division. Um, in the Central, you know, again, this has been a really fun division to kind of keep track of uh, with Carolina, Florida, and Tampa Bay all playing exceptional hockey this season. Florida's won three in a row. Carolina is in first cause, because they have two games in hand. On Florida, they also have a game in hand on Tampa Bay. Um, and then in the last spot in the Central, things are getting really interesting. So Nashville, currently clinging to the last playoff spot, is two points ahead of Dallas. But Dallas has three games in hand on Nashville. So real possibility Dallas could make things interesting. Uh, Chicago also, you know, is somewhat in the race. Three points out uh, with one game in hand on Nashville. So you know, they get hot. They could make things very interesting. Um, but that's been a really fun division to kind of keep track of uh, as a number of different teams have been in contention. Um, and then in the West, you got Vegas that has been taking advantage of Colorado's postponements as they've gained a little bit of an advantage, four-point lead. But Colorado does now have three games in hand on Vegas, so chance that Colorado catches them. Minnesota 61 points, a little bit back of Vegas, but they are well, you know, in that playoff structure, I think, at this point, because they are uh, 16 and 17 points ahead of fourth place Arizona and fifth place St. Louis. So things probably won't change much in the West. You know, I think that Arizona, they're not really looking like they're in a great spot as they are three and seven in their last 10. They have 47 games played St. Louis has four games in hand on them, and they're just a game, a point back. Um, so, you know, both teams have not been playing good hockey recently, but uh, St. Louis certainly looks like they have an advantage. 
you know, San Jose has not been playing well either, but they are, you know, somehow still kind of in striking distance, as is Los Angeles. You know, San Jose, four points out of the last place, last playoff spot with a game in hand. LA is five points out, but they have four in hand. So, you know, things get very interesting um, in the West down the stretch. So that probably that probably does it for NHL and Bruins. Bruins tonight in Buffalo again at 7 o'clock. They will play tomorrow as well, both games against the Sabres, and then they will play Pittsburgh on Sunday. So definitely enjoy those games, see how they do. Um, we will now get to the Red Sox. So Red Sox have been... Uh, playing some great baseball. They've continued to play really well. Um, split the four-game series with the White Sox over the weekend um, after taking three out of four in Minnesota. So um, really good stuff from the Red Sox. Uh, the the bats are, are performing well. Um, it was very interesting. So the Red Sox, you know, win that first game against the White Sox, and then after the postponement, having to play two games, um, on Sunday, they lose both to the White Sox, and, you know, you're figuring, okay, you know, maybe this team's hot streak is coming to an end a little bit, but the Red Sox then come back, score six runs in the first inning against the White Sox, uh, knock Lucas Giolito out of the game in the second inning, you know, and so one of the things that was interesting is the Red Sox come back from two losses with a great offensive performance, and I think that's something that I've kind of been noticing this season is the Red Sox, the few games that they've lost, you know, they've come back and they've performed really well the next game. So um, that was a really impressive game on uh, Monday, obviously the Patriots Day game at 11 o'clock. So hopefully you were up to watch some of that game. Um, but, you know, the offense is still rolling. J.D. Martinez is, is hitting unbelievably well. Um, the starting pitching is done really, really well. I know that, you know, the Red Sox lose last night. Garrett Richards had a tough time as he has had a, uh, he has had uh, a really tough start to the season. He's really been the only starting pitcher that's had a really rough start to the season. I think each of the other starters for the Red Sox has done, you know, pretty well. You know, Tanner Houck has done all right in his spot starts. Um, I don't think Perez has a win, but I don't think he's pitched poorly. You know, I think Richards really is the only guy that's pitched poorly. Um, but the Red Sox, you know, good pitching in the win against the Blue Jays and then obviously losing yesterday. But I'll be curious to see how they bounce back uh, against the surprising Seattle Mariners. We'll actually take a look at the standings um, in a moment. But Seattle has actually been playing some pretty good baseball as of late. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Red Sox respond to that loss. Um, but going back to the starting pitching, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Evaldi have both been really, really good, you know, in their three starts. Uh, each of them has had a quality start. Each of them have three wins already with ERAs uh, well under four. Evaldi at 3-1 uh, with a 3.04 ERA, 24 strikeouts, and 23 and two-thirds. Rodriguez also has three wins. He's 3-0. and 3.38 ERA and 18 strikeouts in 16 innings. Um, so the Red Sox have gotten a couple quality starts from them. Uh, Nick Pavetta, I think, has pitched decently well. Um, the 11 walks is is pretty high, so that's a little bit concerning. Um, but I think the the Red Sox getting good pitching from their top guys, you know, and I think that that's the most important thing. You know, I think that the back end starters, 
you know, you'll kind of just see what you can get. I think that you'll, you know, go through stretches where they pitch well or they pitch poorly. It's just going to be what it's going to be. But I think it's very important that the Red Sox are getting good starts from their top guys. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what it looks like, you know, if, if and when Sale comes back. You know, if he comes back um, at some point in July, you know, and Eric and I talked about this on our baseball preview, but, you know, if the Red Sox can hold themselves above water by the time Sale comes back and Sale can pitch at a high level that we all expect him to, you know, his team could be really, really good. Um, one of the other things uh, is the bullpen's been pretty solid. I know that there have been some guys who have had, you know, some tough tough starts here and there. Uh, Josh Taylor's had a really tough time. Ottavino has kind of struggled a little bit. But uh, Sawamura has pitched, uh, you know, decently well. He's pitched eight and two-thirds as an ERA just over two. And then you have Garrett Whitlock, who's been awesome, uh, has a zero ERA with uh, 11 strikeouts in nine innings in uh, four, four appearances. Um, so it just seems like the pitching is done very solidly. You know, the most, I think the most innings out of any relief pitcher has been Matt Andresi. He's appeared in seven games. Um, he's kind of been the go-to reliever out of the pen, but he's been pitching well too. 1.69 ERA in 10 and two thirds. Um, so he's been used most of the time out of, um, out of the bullpen. But, you know, Barnes has been really good. I think that he's responded well to being that closer. He's had three saves already. Um, and then the offense, you know, you have Bogarts and Martinez that are, you know, batting unbelievably well. You know, Verdugo is also off to a really solid start. Uh, he's third on the team with 13 RBIs and is hitting just below 300. Then you got Martinez at 368. Six home runs, 20 RBIs. Bogarts is hitting at 385, has hit home runs in back-to-back games. So he started to get the power back a little bit. Um, and then Devers, you know, has been red hot. Five home runs, 16 RBIs. He is hitting 270, so a little bit below what we expect. But, you know, I think he'll take it. And I think one of the most interesting guys, I think, has been Christian Arroyo. Guy who's been kind of a utility guy, and he's been... Hitting really well, 364 and 14 games is uh, 16 hits and 44 at-bats and uh, seven doubles. So, you know, he's a utility guy that's been hitting very well. And the Red Sox are a team that, you know, you really don't have to worry about offensively most of the time. Um, you know, it's really just pitching with this team. But, you know, they're getting good pitching. And I think that that really is the biggest thing. You know, will it continue? I think is... Something to wonder about a little bit because, you know, you never know. You know, I think that injuries can creep up. Guys can, you know, start missing the strike zone. You know, you saw a lot of that last night with Richards. Um, But he's a guy that I think can figure it out at some point. You know, in worst case scenario, he's a bad starter, but you signed him for one year. And it's like, doesn't really hurt you either way. You know, I know that there was a lot of hype about him and his you know, spin rate and whatever, but it's like sometimes free agents just don't work out. And it's just as simple as that. You know, there's some people getting like overly angry about it. And it's just like, I don't really think they expected much from, I mean, I don't want to say it like that, but it's like, if the Red Sox expected a lot from him, they would have signed him to a multi-year deal. I mean, they're signing him to a one year prove it deal, you know, $10 million is chump change. Like, I don't know why we're getting so upset that 
they signed him for $10 million and it's like, you know, we'll just see what he can do. And if he's bad, he's bad. And you don't sign him again. Like, it's not really that bad. You know, if he's been the worst pitcher for them this season, you know, that's probably not too bad because that means that your top guys have been good. You know, Evaldi and Perez, Evaldi and uh, Rodriguez have been outstanding. And, you know, hopefully Richards can pick it back up. You know, it's really not anything to get super upset about. But, you know, it's Boston media. People can't help themselves. Um, So looking at the Red Sox and the rest of their schedule for the month, starting the four-game set against Cincinnati, or uh, Seattle, excuse me, this weekend, um, then the Red Sox will go to New York to play the Mets for a couple games, and then they will travel to Texas to finish off the month of April and then start the month of May, and then they will play the Tigers for some games in May, travel to Baltimore, and then play Oakland and Los Angeles in the middle of May. So that's kind of as far as we'll go out. Red Sox do not play the Yankees, believe it or not. Red Sox do not play the Yankees until the first weekend in June, uh, June 4th. That will be in New York, so that will be very interesting to see. Uh, obviously, as we're talking about the rest of Major League Baseball, Yankees are uh, struggling a little bit right now, but don't expect that to last. Um, I feel like we've seen this movie plenty of times before that the Yankees, you know, get out of the gate really slowly, but uh, I don't expect that that's going to last. And if it does, I will be shocked. Um, but, you know, it, again, it's just good that the Red Sox gotten off to a good start. They're starting to be a little bit exciting to watch. You know, people are starting to tune into the games a little bit more, which is good to see. You know, not like it's the absolute horror show that it was last season, but people are tuning in, you know, and that's good. And I think that they've brought baseball back to Boston in a way that brings some excitement, that people are excited about the Red Sox. Um, So as we look around the rest of Major League Baseball, you have the Oakland Athletics who started the season 1-7, and and they've won 11 straight games beat the Twins in extra innings yesterday for their 11th straight win. Um, we'll take a look at the rest of the standings in Major League Baseball. Uh, Red Sox in first place in the East. Uh, no other team in the East is a game is two games above 500. Um, so the Red Sox with a two-game lead over the Rays for first. Yankees in last place at 6-11. and 11. They are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games. In the Central, Kansas City Royals are off to a decent start, 10-7. And, um, and then you have Oakland, 12-7 uh, and seven at this point, 11 straight wins. And then you got Seattle coming into Boston at 11-7. and seven. So uh, things will be interesting to see how the Red Sox do against the Seattle Mariners, who've gotten off to a decent start. Um, in the National League Central, the Mets are in first, or National League East, excuse me. Mets are 7-6. and six. Um, But no one else uh, above 500. In the National League East, in the Central, you got the Brewers at eleven and seven. They are off to a decent start. Um, then the Dodgers, obviously, off to the best start at fourteen and four. I say obviously because you know the Dodgers always get off to a good start. Um, and then you have the Giants at eleven and seven. They're playing some good baseball, but again, really good stuff from the Red Sox. See if that continues. Four game set against the Mariners starts tonight at seven. We take a look at quick schedule. I just want to check about who's starting. It's Pavetta. Uh, Nick Pavetta will get the start. He's 2-0 this season. Um, As he has made three starts, I believe. 
Um, I think you're at a point where most of the starters have made three appearances or four, uh, depending on who it is. Actually, Evaldi and Richards have made four starts each. And then you have um, Rodriguez has made three starts, and then Pavetta has made three starts. He's 2-0 and with a 3.68 ERA with 14 strikeouts in 14 and two-thirds. So he goes tonight for the Red Sox. So, um, yeah, enjoy the weekend series against the Mariners. We will now get to the association, get to the NBA, and the Celtics. So things have gone pretty well for the Celtics. When we uh, last recorded, the Celtics came off a um, win against the Lakers, I believe. Um, The Celtics building a huge lead in that game, a 27-point lead in the fourth quarter, and... You know, the Celtics, as most teams would, with a 27-point lead in the fourth quarter, would start to empty the bench. You know, and it's not anything that Brad Stevens did wrong. I mean, you'd empty the bench if you're up by 27 midway through the fourth quarter or, you know, whatever it was. You know, the starters have done their job. Starters were great. Jalen Brown, you know, 40-point game or just about there. Um and then the Celtics bring in the bench guys and uh, almost give up the lead. And it got so bad, the Celtics had to bring in the starters to finish the game. And, you know, it's something that Kendrick Perkins said after the game that, you know, typically if you have end-of-the-bench guys in the NBA, you know, guys who are playing in that fourth quarter, you know, typically you have guys on the end of the bench that play hard, you know, that are fighting for their lives. You know, it's like if you were in their position— you would fight for your life. You know, it'd be like, okay, I don't want to get cut. I don't want to get sent down to the G League. Celtics don't have a G League team this year, but, you know, it's still the general thing. Like, you want to prove to the Celtics that you belong. And I got to tell you, there's some guys in that team that I think are a little too complacent in their with their roster spot that think that because they, are on, they have a roster spot that they're guaranteed to have a roster spot. Um, And that's something that I noticed with the Bruins a little bit, that there were some guys that, you know, were too complacent with their job. And I think the Celtics have some guys in that bench that are a little too complacent, that think that their job is a little too secure. So um, that was disappointing. Celtics ultimately finished the game. Um, And then, you know, Jason Tatum, Steph Curry go shot for shot in the Celtics Warriors game last Saturday night. And it was really entertaining. One of the most entertaining games um, I have watched this season. Celtics make enough big plays down the stretch. Um, You know, Steph Curry was amazing. You know, watching that game, you know, reaffirms to me that he's the greatest shooter I have ever seen in the NBA. Um, And might quite possibly might just be the best shooter of all time. You know, the shots that he's putting in, it's just... You can play the best defense ever. You can put the defensive player of the year on him, and he still will knock down the shots that he knocked down the other night. You know, I know a lot of people, you know, key in on Grant Williams because he does, you know, make a lot of mistakes. He's not the best basketball player at times, um, but he played some good defense on Steph Curry, and he still made some of the most ridiculous shots I've ever seen. I think that that shot that Curry made, I think it was in the first half, Grant Williams fouls him. Steph Curry 
throws it up with his left hand and it goes in. That may have been the greatest shot I've ever seen in my life. Um, it just, you can't do anything except just sit back and marvel at, holy cow, I am watching one of the greatest players in NBA history. And it just was like, you're in awe. You know, and obviously you don't want the shots to go in because you want the Celtics to win. Luckily, the Celtics made enough plays down the stretch um, to get the win. Tatum was awesome. Kemba Walker, you know, was really outstanding. And the Celtics get another huge win. They're sixth in a row. And things are, look, things are looking really good right now. But, you know, unfortunately, Celtics could not keep it going. The next night, they lose to the Bulls to snap their, lose, snap their winning streak. Uh, Celtics did have a number of guys who were unavailable in that game, so it didn't really surprise me. They didn't have Kemba Walker, no Marcus Smart. Um, Robert Williams continues to be out, and then you have Fournier, who's, you know, still out with the COVID, like, you know, he's not on the protocol list anymore in terms of, like, being in quarantine, but I just still don't think that he's ready to play yet. Um, But you would think that he probably will be close to being back uh, perhaps this weekend, maybe the game tonight or tomorrow, or perhaps the game on Sunday against the Hornets. Um, so, you know, it's a good good stretch of wins for the Celtics, you know, really playing their best, pas- best basketball that they've played all season. Um, but I would say that these next three games, like we talked about the Bruins last week, these next three games for the Celtics are huge. They're gigantic. You got three good teams that you're playing against. You know, you got one game here tonight, 7 o'clock against the Phoenix Suns, who are second place in the West of 41 wins. You know, then you play the Brooklyn Nets, who, yes, are shorthanded. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But then you go on the road and you play a team like Charlotte, who, you know, on paper, you know, you should be better than. But you've had a number of teams in the East that have, you know, overachieved this year and have looked a lot better than a lot of people would have thought. So, you know, these next three games are kind of challenging. And... You know, it's unfortunate that the Celtics have now gotten some guys who have been unavailable due to illnesses or various injuries. Uh, Jalen Brown probably not available tonight with uh, the shoulder, Um, but Marcus Smart should be back tonight. There's a chance Kemba Walker could play. Uh, Robert Williams, you know, still out. And I think that some people, including me, were starting to get a little bit worried. But um, as Keith Smith pointed out yesterday on Twitter, um, you know, this is a time of year that a lot of teams contenders, you know, start um, not holding guys out of games, but, you know, starting to be a lot more cautious with players, whether, you know, maybe they, you know, pull a hamstring a little bit or they, you know, have soreness, you know, which is what Robert Williams is out with, knee soreness, that, you know, it's getting to that time of year where teams are starting to, you know, not play guys if they are feeling just the slightest bit off. And I think, you know, that's what you're seeing with the Celtics here with Robert Williams in particular. Um, You know, I don't know what this illness is. You know, obviously it's not COVID related. They've made that clear. Um, But I think that, you know, it's again, the the hospital C's are back, unfortunately, of a number of guys out of the lineup. And I think that's really something that has hit the Celtics really hard this season that you've really failed to build any any kind of continuity uh, with this roster, which is really unfortunate. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the bench issue that, you know, you have a bunch of guys that aren't really playing super hard. Um, I think uh, Danny Ainge saw that and went out and signed Jabari Parker. 
I think that uh, I will speculate that that uh, is, I think, exactly why they brought in Jabari Parker, that, okay, our bench needs a lift. You know, we need to bring in someone who can score the basketball, um, do a little bit of everything else, but mostly score. You know, and I think that's why they brought in Jabari Parker, which I think was a really smart decision on the Patriots, on the Celtics part. Um, bring in the former first round, the first former uh, second overall pick in 2014. Obviously, has had a number of injuries uh, tore his ACL, I believe, in his first season, and then again, maybe his second season or his third season. But um, he's bounced around a lot. But you know, if you looked at his last kind of quote unquote full season, as you call it, you know, played 38 games last season. Uh, with Atlanta and Sacramento, averaged 14 points and six rebounds. Um, you know, he's a guy who can come in and can score, you know, can rebound a little bit, but it's like, I think it, it gives the Celtics someone that uh, is kind of a reclamation project. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, Brad Stevens, throughout his Celtics coaching career, has done a tremendous job with guys like this. Yeah, I really think he has. Jabari... Um, has played two games for the Celtics this season, played uh, against the Warriors, which honestly kind of surprised me. I uh, did not think that he was going to be ready to play that quickly, um, but had 11 points and four rebounds in you know under 16 minutes. So he really provided a lift in that game, uh, came in, had eight points against Chicago the other night in about the same amount of time. But he's a guy that I think, you know, because he's barely played much this season for Sacramento, um, is a guy that actually can come in and play a lot for the Celtics, you know, because he's relatively fresh, because he's not someone that's been playing in a lot of games. So that actually made a lot of sense that they put him into games right away and playing him a good amount of minutes so that he can kind of get used to, you know, playing, you know, regular minutes. So I think that that's a really good, smart signing by the Celtics. And, you know, hopefully... When they can get everyone healthy, you know, and I think it will happen at some point. Uh, I know, I know, I know it will happen at some point, I promise. Um, but once they actually do get that, I really think that the Celtics are going to be a very good team. You know, you think about some of the guys that have been out. Um, you get all those guys back healthy. You get a guy like Parker. You know, the Celtics really could be a tough out um, in the playoffs, I think, particularly for um, a team like Philadelphia, or perhaps a Brooklyn, um, who is not looking super healthy right now at the moment. So um, Celtics sitting at 31-27, and 27, game tonight against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, actually, 42 wins with the win last night in Philadelphia. They're 42-16, second in the West. So it'll be a really, really big game for the Celtics. So hopefully Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker can play. Um, the Celtics, you know, play a good, tough game against Phoenix, but it's going to be really tough. Celtics really have to uh, be at their best defensively if they're going to get a win tonight. Um, then, you know, go play Brooklyn. You know, taking a look around the rest of the NBA, obviously there was some uh, news about James Harden suffering a uh, setback and uh, read somewhere, you know, in the Boston Globe today that um, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden have only played in seven games together and have only played a total of 186 minutes together. And, um, you know, that's something that's crazy. You know, that's something that, you know, I think everyone all assume that the three of them together, they're going to be almost unstoppable. But 
health has kind of gotten in the way, you know. I know that the injuries that Kevin Durant has had are not related to his hamstring, but or his uh, Achilles that, you know, he suffered and missed the entire season uh, last season. But, you know, injuries are starting to affect that team a little bit, you know. And I totally, and I blanked last week, I totally failed to mention that um, LaMarcus Aldridge had decided to retire because of um, a heart issue. And that was something that obviously you never want to see. I mean, I think this is totally different than, you know, just like a hamstring injury or anything like that. You know, that's something that's life-threatening. And, you know, he thought that it would be better for him to step away from the game. And honestly, like, I commend any athlete that does something like that, that says, okay, you know what? I recognize that this is not safe for my health and I want to, um, you know, step away from the game. I really commend guys for doing that, you know. And guys aren't soft for that. Guys aren't, you know, wusses for that. Like, if they realize that, okay, playing in the NBA, playing a professional sport is is not safe enough for me, is not safe enough for my family, then I can't do this anymore. So I think that that was something that, you know, I really respected. But, you know, things are not looking great for the Nets right now. You know, it's not only injuries, but it's like you have to worry a little bit about continuity. And I know that those three guys are three of, you know, probably three of the top 10 players in in our game today. But, you know, still, it's something that you have to consider. So um, not really sure what to make of the Nets, you know, in the next few weeks. Um, There's been some injuries. Uh, Anthony Davis, though, uh, is expected to return and play tonight against the Mavericks. So that's a good sign for the Lakers. So uh, as we take a look at the NBA standings, taking a look at uh, the Eastern Conference, so... ESPN has updated the standings look a little bit so you can tell who's playing um, in the play-in round. So the Sixers still atop the East, and the Nets just a game and a half back, and then you have the Bucks in third place, three and a half games back, and now uh, currently you have the Knicks in fourth place, followed by the Hawks and the Celtics in fifth and the sixth. Celtics are just a game back of the Knicks, just a half game back of the Hawks. Um, and then in, in the rest of the East, you get the Heat in seventh, just a half game back of the Celtics, then Hornets in eighth, Pacers in ninth, and then the Wizards in tenth. The Bulls are a game back of Washington, Raptors are a half game back, so possibility that they could get into the play-in round. So how the play-in round works is the seventh, seventh seed and the eighth seed will play each other, then the winner of that game will get the seventh seed, um, winner of the nine seed and the ten seed play. Uh, loser goes home, and then the winner plays the loser of the 7-8 game. So let's just say, for argument's sake, the Heat and the Hornets play, Pacers and Wizards play. Let's say that the Pacers beat the Wizards. So if the Pacers beat the Wizards, Wizards would go home, Heat and Hornets play, let's say the Heat win, then the Heat would get the 7th seed, and then the Pacers and the Hornets would play each other for the right to for the right to be the 8th seed. Loser would go home, and then winner would get the 8th seed. So Um, yeah, it does work very strangely. You know, I think there are some people that like it, some people that don't like it. You know, I think that it, on one hand, does put more emphasis on the regular season that, okay, you kind of have to finish above a certain spot, um, that you kind of have to put some effort into the, into the regular season. Um, but then there are some people that think that, okay, you're a team that's the seventh seed, you know, and you just missed that spot there's a possibility that you lose two games and you're out, you know, and I think that there's something in the fact that, okay, if you finish seventh in the conference, 
you should be getting a playoff spot. Like you shouldn't be just eliminated just because you lose two games in a play-in round. So I think that there are arguments for and against it that make sense. And I think that I'm of the opinion that I kind of like it. You know, it's not something that I think the NBA should do permanently. You know, I think that this is something that they tested out last season in the bubble and it was kind of a fun thing to do. If it's something you want to do this season because it's not like a complete season and the season has been, you know, all over the place because of, because of the COVID uh, protocols that teams have postponed games and stuff like that, you know, I think maybe it makes sense, but this is not anything that should be a permanent thing. You know, I get that you want to make, you want to have an emphasis on the regular season, but I just think at a certain point, I don't know. I just, I wouldn't like this for the regular season. So um, in the Western Conference, the Jazz still in first and Phoenix in second place. Celtics play them tonight. Phoenix 42 and 16. Then you have the Clippers in third, three games back of first, and then Denver in fourth, Lakers in fifth. We'll get Davis back tonight against the Mavericks. Um, and then we'll play the, or, yeah, we'll play the Mavericks tonight. Um, and then Portland in sixth. And then in the play-in round, you have Dallas and Memphis in 7th and 8th, and then Golden State and San Antonio in ninth and 10th. Um, so the Mavericks just a half game back of 6th place, and then in 11th place out of the play-in round, the Pelicans are 3.5 games back, so things not looking great for uh, the Pelicans. Also worth noting that Jaron Jackson Jr. made his season debut on Wednesday night after being out for most of this season. Um, with, I think it was a leg injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But good to see him back. Good to see a future uh, star for Memphis get back into the lineup as they will probably be a team that will play in the play-in round, perhaps the playoffs, you know, if they get really hot. So that's probably it for the NBA. Celtics again playing Phoenix tonight. They are in Brooklyn tomorrow night, and then they play the Hornets in Charlotte on Sunday afternoon on ESPN. So with uh, now getting to the NFL, talk a little bit about the draft. You know, I don't think I want to do a full-on first-round preview, uh, which is kind of, I think, what we did last season. Um, I think I'll go through some picks that I expect to be named, some picks that I expect to be made by certain teams, you know, names that should be picked, I think, in the first round. Um, So I think maybe we focus a little bit more in the first round today. Um, Expect trades. I think definitely expect some trades, um, you know, in the next few days leading up to the draft. You might even see some trades on draft night. So uh, things will get very, very interesting. You know, I think that the Patriots are a team that absolutely could be in position to trade up, um, possibly into the top 10, because I think that if the Patriots truly want a chance at Justin Fields or Trey Lance, who I think are the two quarterbacks that I think that they should be making a play for, um, you're really not going to be able to get either of them, I don't think, if you're going to sit at 15. So the Patriots may have to trade into the top 10. Patriots are not trading to fourth. Uh, they're not going to trade for, with the Atlanta Falcons. I know that I know that for sure. Um, but I think they could still look at trading with Carolina, maybe Detroit. Uh, poss- I don't think that they're going to trade with Miami because I don't think the Dolphins are going to be that excited to help the Patriots. But I could see the Patriots trading to seven. Uh, trading with the Lions or trading to eight to trade with the Panthers. Um, I think the Panthers have been rumored that they'd be willing to trade out of uh, the eighth pick. I think that that's something the Patriots should definitely um, look into because I think the Broncos drafting at number nine 
there is a real possibility that they could draft a quarterback. So uh, things will look interesting. You know, I've said my piece about Mac Jones. You know, I think that fantastic college quarterback, you know, is the best quarterback last year in college. I don't really think anyone would argue with that. I mean, maybe Kyle Trask was better than him, but I just think that he's just a prototypical really good college quarterback and I don't think is going to translate super well to the pros. Um, I just think he had the advantage of playing in a really good offense with really good players. And, you know, you put him on one of the worst teams in the league, you know, let's say for argument's sake, the 49ers take him. That's not really a great offense that he'll be surrounded with. You know, I mean, he's got George Kittle, but you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure about the rest of their weapons. Um, so, you know, it just, I mean, would be a huge step down from what he had at Alabama, you know, is my point. Um, I just don't think he does super well against pressure, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, you have to be a quarterback that performs well under pressure. And I don't know if I've seen that enough from him because it's like, based on what you saw at Alabama, he had a tremendous offensive line. He had playmakers on offense where you snap the ball to him, gets rid of it in less than three seconds. And it's like, okay, what is that really showing you in terms of what he can do in the pocket when he's faced with pressure? Um, so I think that that, you know, is something that obviously all the teams will be thinking about, but I don't really think the Patriots are in position to have someone like that who's just going to be a sitting duck in the pocket and isn't really going to move. Um, I think that the Patriots will probably you know, want to get a quarterback that can be a dual threat guy. Because yes, I know the league is trending in that way, but the Patriots also have a group of of players that I think would translate better to that type of offense that, you know, you have two tight ends who are solid blockers or good receivers that'll help you down the seam. You know, you have receivers that are, you know, Aguilar is kind of a speed burner, you know, Bourne is kind of a short area quickness guy. Um, But then you have a great offensive line really good at run blocking. You have a really solid one-two punch with Harrison Michelle in the backfield. It kind of would make more sense to have a quarterback who is a little bit of a dual threat. So, you know, you'll see Cam Newton play a lot of the games this season. You know, I think that the only way that that doesn't happen is if the Patriots buy some, somehow get Justin Fields, you know, or they get Trey Lance and one of them wins the starting job in camp you know, or wins it in the preseason or wins it a couple games into the season. You know, I think that's the only scenario that you see Cam Newton not play the majority of the games this season. Um, But I think he will, you know, and I think that he will bounce back. You have a better offense, you know, you'll have a full off-season program, you know, maybe not exactly full, but, you know, I think that it will be a lot better than it was last season. So I think that you can expect him to be better this season. Um, and I don't think it's the worst thing possible for him to play, you know, most of the games this season, because I still think the Patriots will be able to win a good amount of games. And we'll look at their schedule um, in a moment. But uh, looking at the draft, um, it is worth noting on NFL.com, there are a couple of great uh, draft uh, tools that you can use. You can use Predict the Pick, which lets you predict each of the first round picks. And then there's PFF Draft Simulator that you can Uh, control a team and then you can you know set certain settings that you can pick um, every every pick for the team that you that you select so that's kind of an interesting tool I used that yesterday um, when I was getting ready for the pod today but 
I think in the first round, in the first couple picks, you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks. Um, I think that Jacksonville, the Jets, and San Francisco are almost certainly going to take quarterbacks in the first three picks. You know, it really just is who is San Francisco going to draft? Are they going to draft Mac Jones or are they going to draft Justin Fields? You know, I think that that's kind of the thing that I'm most curious about. Um, I think that, you know, looking at Lawrence, you know, he's going to be a really good, a really good pro. I really think he will be. You know, I think Wilson can be good too. Um, not really sure what the Jets, uh, like, coaching staff looks like or what their offensive coordinator looks like. So, you know, I know that there are some people that are concerned about, you know, how he might do, you know, based on how poorly, you know, the Jets did with Sam Darnold. Um, but I just think that, you know, the Jets are in no position to really overthink this pick. So I really think that you have Lawrence and Wilson go one and two. Third pick will be San Francisco. It will either be Mac Jones or Justin Fields. I really don't think Atlanta is going to draft a quarterback. And I and let me tell you why. I think that you've seen a number of teams, including Atlanta, that have talked about that they are willing to move out of their draft spot. And, you know, that tells me that, okay, you know, you're kind of willing to move back, maybe get some more picks because the Falcons are a team that, yeah, they could use a quarterback of the future, but they also have needs at a bunch of other positions. So, you know, I think that if a team is willing to trade out, you know, that tells me that they're not really interested in a quarterback. Or Atlanta, I think it tells me, because, you know, if you wanted to take a really good quarterback, you know, you would stay at four. Um, You know, you wouldn't want to be moving out. So that's why I think the uh, Falcons will take Penny Sewell um, from Oregon, the best offensive lineman in the draft. I think that's where they're going to go. I think that you'll see Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts go at five and six, Bengals and Dolphins. Dolphins are rumored to be willing to want to trade out of six, but I think if they stay there, uh, Kyle Pitts will be who they take. Uh, Devontae Smith, I think, will be a top 10 pick. I know there are a lot of people that have concerns about his size, um, but he's a guy that, you know, you saw his skill set at Alabama and really good short area quickness guy. He's not a speed burner, but I think that there will be a place for him in the NFL. I think that You've seen small receivers do really, really well in this league. You know, Steve Smith is a guy that is the first guy I thought of, you know, when I thought of undersized receivers. Now I know Steve Smith was one of the most physical receivers in the NFL that I've ever seen. Um, But I think it just tells you that guys who are small can absolutely be successful. So I really don't think that there's much that I would be concerned about with Devontae Smith. Um, I have him going seventh to the Lions. Um... You know, I will be honest, in the predict-a-pick thing that I did, I was pretty hopeful that the Patriots would get Trey Lance at 15. Uh, this uh, particular uh, simulator does not let you trade up. Um, in the PFF draft simulator, you are able to. So that's actually what I did. Um, and I moved the Patriots up to 7 to take uh, Trey Lance. So I think if that's who the Patriots... If that, who, if that is who is beco- who becomes available, I think that's who the Patriots will take. Um, I think that if Trey Lance or Justin Fields is not available when the Patriots pick, um, then I think that most likely they're going to go defense. Um, And I think look at defensive line or linebacker. I think Micah Parsons, there's a possibility he could still be there. Uh, Christian Barmore, I think, would make a lot of sense. Um, I think just some other names 
Um, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame, I think would be an interesting name. I think that most likely you'd see the Patriots go front seven, defensive line or linebacker. I don't think you'd see them go cornerback. Um, I would expect that they draft a cornerback at some point in the draft. Um, would also expect that they draft a wide receiver at some point in the draft. Probably not in the first round because I think the Patriots would, you know, assuming that they stay at 15, they probably would miss out on um, some of the top receivers and tight ends. And so if that's the case, then I think you just wait for the for the second day for maybe some other guys that become available. Amari Rogers from Clemson is a name that I would keep an eye on. Nico Collins from Michigan, also another name I would keep an eye on as well. Um, so I think we'll probably do more of a big draft preview um, next week, but it's going to be exciting. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of rumors going out there, a lot of trades that happen. I bet in the first round, could the Patriots be a team that trades? Absolutely. But don't get your hopes up. You know, I think that there's a possibility the Patriots trade up, but I think that it's more likely the Patriots are probably just going to stay at 15. Maybe think about a day two quarterback. But, you know, I just, I don't know. It's it's something that, you know, makes me think that they will trade up to get a quarterback. Um, I just, there's no one really in the middle rounds that really excites me. You know, if you think about a guy like Kellen Mond or Jamie Newman, like, those are guys who are going to kind of be, I don't want to say project quarterbacks, and I don't want to say that in a negative way, but it's guys that, you know, aren't going to be ready to play at the NFL level right away, that they're going to need at least a year, you know, to kind of sit and wait. And I think that, you know, some people really want a good rookie quarterback and they want that person to push Cam Newton and maybe take his job. But, you know, if they draft a quarterback in the middle rounds, that's not happening. You know, I also will say that, I also, on another hand, don't see the point in drafting a quarterback in the middle rounds because you already did that with Jared Stidham two years ago. And, you know, why would you waste another pick on a quarterback? So um, if the Patriots do not take a quarterback next Thursday night, I think things will get very, very interesting. But um, we'll see. We'll see if they trade up. I think if they do, they will trade up to seventh or eighth um, and take Trey Lance. I really don't think that they would take Mac, Mac Jones um, I don't think I would like that pick. I don't think that they will make that pick. Um, but, you know, obviously we'll see. Some other NFL news. Obviously you have the rule changes. Um, there, was, there was a rule change, I believe, to onside kicks. So they make it a little bit easier to recover onside kicks. I'm not sure what the exact rule is, but I think it's like they added an extra player that a receiving the receiving team can have in a certain area. So it gives them a better chance to maybe recover the onside kick. Um, and then obviously the Jersey number thing, which was, you know, a big source of contention for some people that, you know, wanted to kind of want to keep that in college football. But I actually read something that made a lot of sense that uh, there are some teams that have had issues with not a lot of Jersey numbers based on the expanded practice squads and retired numbers. And so, teams actually didn't have a lot of jersey numbers that they could use so that actually is probably a practical reason for why they're doing it you know not just because they want to make the game look cool you know they want to give guys more options for jersey numbers so things could get interesting you could see guys changing their numbers maybe back to their college numbers i think that would be kind of cool um, but i think you know there is a practical reason why they're doing that 
Um, and then I think the other rule change was giving the replay official a little bit more ability to make calls so that they kind of can keep the game moving that, you know, calls that are obvious, they won't have to, you know, go to the booth as often. So I think that's something that you might notice that the game, you know, might be sped up a little bit more that, you know, you don't, you don't get a lot of lengthy reviews. Um, so I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think rules that, you know, make sense for um, the NFL. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for those. So now the schedule. The NFL announced, or I think it was Adam Schefter yesterday announced that the league will announce their schedule May 12th. So got me interested about looking at the Patriots' uh, opponents for next season. Uh, the Patriots will play the teams from the AFC South and the NFC South. So yes, that means the Patriots will play Tom Brady and the Buccaneers this season. It also means that they will play the also means that they will play the presumptive number one pick, uh, Trevor Lawrence, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, that's kind of interesting. And then the Patriots obviously added an extra game because the NFL added an extra regular season game to the schedule. So the schedule is now 17 games instead of 16. So that's something to uh, keep your eye on. The Patriots will play the Cowboys in that extra game. And I believe that that game is at Gillette. So got me thinking, you know, looking at the opponents, um, that I think, you know, looking at the teams that they'll play, I honestly think the Patriots have a pretty good shot at, you know, winning 11 or 12 games next season. Um, that I think based on how much the team's improved, you know, looking at some of these teams may not net, might not necessarily be really hard teams. You know, yes, you have the Bucks, but, you know, you have really no other team that I think scares you. You know, I think you generally would say the Saints, but obviously they don't have Breeze anymore. Yes, they're very talented. You know, that might be a game that you don't overlook, obviously. But, you know, that's that's going to be a tough game. Bucks game will be tough. Cleveland will be tough. And then you got maybe the Colts. But it's like every other game, it's like you feel pretty good about the Patriots' chances. So I really think that the Patriots could very easily win 11 games next year. Um, go 11 and 6. You know, I don't really think that that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, as far as who they play week one, I think a lot of people are thinking that they're going to play Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay is on the home schedule uh, for the Patriots. And typically the Super Bowl champion plays the opening game at home. So chances are the Patriots will not be playing them week one. But you can bet that when they play Tampa Bay, it is going to be one of those Sunday night games. Uh, I would I would bet so much money that it would be one of those late NBC games uh, that the Patriots would play Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But as far as week one, you know, I think in terms of the home games, I'm assuming the Patriots would start at home. You got Cleveland, uh, the Chargers, the Saints, I believe. I think the Titans and the Texans. Um, and then obviously you got those home opponents. I think the Patriots will stay in the AFC East. Um, I think most likely opponent is you play Buffalo week one at home. Possibility that maybe you play a Jets um, or the Bills on the road. <laughs> I really hope they don't have to go to Miami week one uh, because that's uh, sometimes been a house of horrors for the Patriots. But then again, it might be good to get it over with first week of the season. Um, you know, but I, and here's the thing. I thought about this right away. As I said, the Dolphins, like, this is what's going to happen. Patriots are going to play the Dolphins week one. 
The Dolphins are going to score 30 points, and everyone's going to be like, oh, the Patriots made such a colossal mistake spending all this money in free agency. You know, they'll lose like 30 to 17, and we'll hear the same stuff that we heard last season. Uh, you know, Cam Newton sucks, can't complete passes. You know, the defense was bad over, you know, overhyped and this and that. Um, and then watch, you know, they'll rip off like seven straight wins. Um, but I think that there is a very good possibility the Patriots will start the season um, in the division for their first game. You know, maybe they play the Cowboys week one. You know, who knows? I think that would make a lot of, you know, the NFL ratings happy. But that will be something to uh, keep in mind when the season starts. I don't know who the Bucks have in terms of their opponents. Actually, we probably could look at it uh, really quick on uh, Pro Football Reference. Uh, just to take a quick glance, quick glance at who the Buccaneers are playing for their opponents. Um, now, obviously, these do not tell me if they are home or away games, unfortunately. So I uh, might have to guess, but um, it looks like they will play the NFC East and the AFC East. So you know, maybe they play Dallas or the Eagles uh, week one, maybe. Maybe they play the Rams. You know, who knows? That will be uh, interesting. Or maybe they open the season against the Saints. Obviously, the Saints don't have Drew Brees, but it could also be kind of an interesting thing to take a look at. So, you know, that's probably it for for NFL. We'll close out with uh, some revolution thoughts. So I (laughs) accidentally said the Rebs will open the season uh, on Saturday. They will open the home schedule this Saturday. They'll have their their home opener on uh, Saturday night against DC United at Gillette. That game is at eight. Revolution started their season last weekend with a two-two tie in Chicago. Things got off to a really bad start. The Revs uh, found themselves down two to nothing within the first fifteen minutes. Um, the defense really had a hard time. Uh, they looked really rusty um, in those first couple minutes. Allowed some goals, um, but then the Revs did a great job. They bounced back. Got level before halftime you know got some uh big goals from adam buxa who uh, struggled for a good part of last season but you know obviously still was adjusting to the major league soccer game um but came on you know towards the end of last season had a goal in the playoffs and he's starting off pretty well so had that goal in the first half then gustavo bow tied the game you know the revs did a great job of bouncing back you know having a bad start but uh, came back, were able to even the score. Um, actually, it just occurred to me that you can read uh, my Revolution season preview on Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I shared that last week. You can go read that. I had some uh, thoughts about some players and kind of what to expect from the team this season. So 2-2 uh, tie, you know, good stuff from the Revs. Started off poorly, but they were able to get a point, which I think is really important. It's really important for the Revs to get off to a good start uh, this season. So Two home games in the next two weeks, this Saturday against D.C., and then the following Saturday against Atlanta. So, um, you know, good start for the Revs. Hopefully they, they can string some wins together um, in the next few games. So the Revs, you know, typically play a game once a week. Maybe they play two, you know, in the middle of the week. I think that their first few games are on Saturday, Saturday night this week, and then Saturday night the next week. Um, then they will play Nashville and Philadelphia in May. And then they will play Columbus, have that Eastern Conference final rematch on May 16th. Then the Revs will play the Red Bulls May 22nd 
and then we'll play FC Cincinnati on May 29th. So just some other, you know, news that was, you know, fairly, fairly big that the, uh, there's that news about that Super League, the European Super League that came out. I think it was last weekend that you have a lot of high-profile teams that, you know, we're going to start a league together. And, you know, based on the uh, backlash, the negative backlash from fans and, you know, media and so forth, there are a number of uh, European teams that have backed out. Uh, I think almost all of the English Premier League teams have backed out at this. Um, Barcelona, I think, is still in there. Maybe some other uh, teams from Spain. But very interesting. Uh, curious to see what ends up happening. But how it was explained to me from someone was, you know, basically you have all these teams that are, you know, the worldwide brand teams wanted to start a league so that they can kind of recoup some of the money that they lost during the pandemic um, and trying to make this league exclusive and elite as 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 best as they can. Um, but, you know, obviously this has failed. So, um you know, I don't. I don't even know if they'll be able to get it off the ground. Um, but it is very interesting that um, it fell apart as quickly as it came together. So um, that was, you know, interesting to me. I don't know, you know, too much about the soccer community, but I know a lot of people were uh, very upset with it, um, especially the fans. And then you had some teams um, in the English Premier League that, you know, had. I think it was Leeds United that had t-shirts that, you know, the game is for the fans. I don't know exactly what the t-shirt said, but it was something like that, like the game is for the fans. Um, so, you know, that that honestly probably does it for me this week for um, for the podcast, for Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at NotBoston. You can follow uh, the Facebook page. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Would really appreciate uh, reviews, or you know, if you want to give me a five star review, you know, I'm not going to tell you that you have to, but you know, would really appreciate that if you did that on on Apple Podcasts. You know, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't need any of that. But um, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been listening. I've been noticing that. Podcast has had a little bit more visibility, but just want to say thanks for everyone tuning into this. You know, this is really something that I've loved doing for a long time. Really appreciate that uh, people enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I would really appreciate any type of feedback that you guys want. You guys want me to do some more questions, you know, mailbags, stuff like that. I'm open to open to anything. So that's it for me. Uh, you can read any of my written content at Gary Hayden Sports Media. Uh, should have a new article out tomorrow, um, but you can read the uh, Revolution preview from last week. So that does it for me, everyone. Enjoy the nice weather. Enjoy the nice weather on Saturday. It's supposed to be really cold today and tomorrow. So um, if you have to go outside, you know you just got to brave it. But Saturday it will be really nice. So everyone, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you next week right before the draft.